At this time, it's my opportunity to introduce our speaker and our friend and our confidant, Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron. Good morning. I, um, I, I owe Scott an apology. I, was, I started calling him John during the first... Uh, uh, but we're going back to John of God, so maybe that's where I got confused. But just lovely, beautiful music today. All right. Thank you for t taking your time to travel here and to share your, your life force with us. When you're, one of you is not here, it's different. And that's how potent and powerful all of us are. And I just, I just love... You know, the words in that song that Scott sang this morning, I've heard it twice now, and, and it's, it's just so, there's such profound poetry in it. One of my favorite musical artists on the planet is Jackson Brown, and when I was, when I was in my 20s, I didn't care for him, because I thought every one of his songs sounded the same, and now that it's a, his poetry has broken my heart open so many times, it's just like, what an amazing artist. And so thank you for everything that has shaped you in your life, that has allowed you to be here with us today and share your gifts. With that said, um, we'll move into our prayer. And one of the things that happened uh, when I was in John of God in Brazil, and if you feel guided to do this, please feel free, and if not, let it just wash over you. But when we were there, you would, and uh, there, were, there was a, a period of time where we would uh, uh, experience a spiritual surgery, and I, I'm I've talked about that quite a bit, but one of the things that we were asked to do, if we were ready for that, the invitation for us was to put our, our hand over our hearts, our right hand over our hearts, which just simply signified I'm ready. So if you're interested in, in that, that uh, possibility and you feel comfortable doing that, please feel free. Some of you like to stand as we sing this song, and then I will move and continue to build the, the vibration of the Most High through my spoken word in a prayer. So let's sing. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very room what I know in this moment as I stand with you in this the kingdom of heaven is upon the earth and men and women do not see it and so it is my opportunity in this moment to look upon your face to look upon this beautiful day and understand this is heaven that it is not a future event it is now it is not based on meritocracy that I live a certain life that I, I will gain entrance to it. It is simply shifting in perception in this moment and the awareness within me that heaven exists 
right here and right now, in my heart and my mind and my being, that I am abundantly supplied in every good way, every word, desire, and expression. May I get myself out of the way, that small self, so that something larger may have expression through me. And I support you in that as well. It is in that transformation and revelation that our lives are transformed, that we move forward dynamically and beautifully. That this is not a unique situation for one individual that, we, that you or I must carry alone, but that we are all in this journey together. Your awakening, your blossoming, and your sharing your gifts upon this planet becomes not only a gift for you and your family, but for everyone, for the family of humanity. And so all of us have that opportunity right here and right now, in this present moment, to put down whatever it is that we are fixing or seeking to change in some fashion to understand that they ask the deeper question, what is here for me? What am I being asked to transform within me so that my experience with whatever it is shifts and changes? For this I give thanks. I know that this day is a blessing. I give thanks for the beautiful artistry. I give thanks for the beautiful consciousness of musicians that support us so beautifully. Their artistry, their poetry, their gifts, their talent, their time and treasure put into the discipline of mastering their instruments. A metaphor and an example for us to, to master the instrument of our thinking and our being and our consciousness. I give thanks for all the wonderful gifts that have brought us together today. The abundance that allows us to take this precious time to create sacred community together. This is an honor and a privilege and I am so grateful to stand with you in this. I release and in instruct this infinite divine intelligence around me and within me to help me release and put down anything and everything that restricts in any way, shape, or form what I have just expressed. And I support you in that as well. For this I give thanks. This day is enough. And together we say, and so it is. It's always fun for me to just keep going we could do three or four services a Sunday and just keep I just keep warming up so not as Scott said that the people at the first service weren't my people just saying but it does grow it does build and so what I would like to do you know part of what's really important and I think significant is that we hear one another's stories because our stories of of the journey and the transformation are really important and I had an opportunity to um, spend some time with a young lady that I think is just brilliant and so um, uh, clear in her passions and her awarenesses that has been in and out of our community over the last several years and I wanted to have her come forward today and just share briefly her story uh, about her experience with being here and uh, and what has transpired and, and continues to be revealed in her life. So I'm going to invite Carolyn Collins to come up and we'll have another discussion. Thank you, Carolyn. And first of all, I just want to, I, I just want to thank Carolyn. She did this at the first service. And to even to be of service in, in sharing with us at the second one is such a, a delight. And I'm really, I'm really touched that you've created the space this morning to do that for us. So I wanted to ask you about what brought you to the center. What was the journey for you that uh, we have you with us today? The journey for me has been about, actually, I would say early 20s. I was struggling with some issues in my life and uh, I came from a victim consciousness. So my mother, my mom and dad, um, this is what I grew up in. So the results of my life were that of that consciousness. So I thought to myself that the only way that I'm going to create the positive results in all this 
other kind of activity that I wanted in my life was to change that consciousness. So then I started coming here, uh, started feeding my soul with new ideas, new thoughts, opening up do doors in my mind, which before they were closed. So my circumstances started changing because of that. Hmm, beautiful. Yeah. And so what, in terms of the circumstances, you had mentioned uh, when we were talking um, the other day about, uh, which I think is really significant, one of the, you know, we put the banners up because one of the things that tells people kind of what we stand for. And so you can walk in and you can see Oprah and I've had people say, what do you got Oprah's picture up for? And other people say, oh, you got Oprah's picture up. And it's like, okay, well, there she is. But um, also, um, Carolyn had shared with me about uh, the, the books and the book of the month that we use many times and your experience with that as well. Just yeah, so what was really, like everything that this church or the center stands for is in alignment with my core values and my, my beliefs. And I recognize that a lot of the books that Reverend Patrick Cameron would bring is most of the titles that were on my shelf. And so coming every Sunday and hearing the messages, being reminded of the messages, I was able to slowly integrate that into my life and I would set up my environment for success. So I, I would have mm -hmm. affirmations around my house. Everybody who comes to my house sees like I have the word of the week. And um, I just noticed that I started changing that because if you've lived with a certain type of consciousness for a long time, it takes a lot of work yeah. to shift. Yeah. And so um, it's helped. Yeah. yeah. To, to talk about your son a little bit. Him asking you when you were coming and your son asked you where you yeah, were going. So yeah, we, we did this first service and she shared this stuff, so there's Neela, so anyway. So I, I met with, well, actually I met with Reverend Patrick Cameron on Monday and my son was saying, I went home, um, cooked him supper and then left, was on my way to leaving and he said, where are you going, mom? And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to fill my cup and keep in mind my son's 15 and he knows all the answers, right? So, but this, at this opportunity, he actually asked me, what do you mean? And so I felt it was a good opportunity to share with him exactly what I meant. And so I just said, you know, Brett, in times in life, you have to just go out, fill your cup with positive energy, anything that feeds your soul, so that you can come back and give fully to other people. And that's kind of what I want to do with you today. So I'm going out, and I'm going to go fill my cup. And he just looked at me and said, you, you go do that, Mom, and you come back. <laughs> <laughs> and give all, give all you want. <laughs> so yes, it was special. And you talked about your passion of and, and vision around the future about not only um, your own personal transformation, but also feeling called to teach and share your journey and the, the, the tools and the, the things that you've developed with others. Yeah, and, and, and you know what? It's that song that Scott sings, it speaks to me because it talks about having something, at least this is what I feel the meaning means to me, um, it talks about having something like for a while, just carrying it with you for a while, and then putting it down. And then to me what that means is just like teaching people. So through struggles, through your struggles, um, I've been able, at least through mine, it, it has strengthened me. And it has brought me closer to my myself, my inner core, and just I'm able to now look at that as an observer as opposed to a victim and just want to share that with people so that I can maybe provide some support, some strength, yep. maybe light. Yeah, and talk yeah. about toast, Toastmasters. And Toastmasters, yes. So I've been in Toastmasters for three and a half years, and 
you guys are all more than willing to come. It's, it's here in the community, Spiritual Toastmasters. <laughs> We're doing a membership drive, so please do come. It's this Thursday. And you know what? It's two days out of the month, so it's a really small commitment to give back to yourself. And if you've ever feared public speaking, like most people do, you know what? You come to the space, especially the center, and you feel supported. And you kind of go at your own pace, so you're never like pressured to do um, anything other than just show up and learn from people and you know what if if you ever have fears in yourself the only way to get through those fears is to stare at those fears right in the face and say you know what you don't have power over me anymore I'm gonna blow through this mm. and I'm gonna I'm gonna figure my way I can't just and like you said in the last service the more that you try to avoid um, facing those fears or like the more you put them behind you or like you, you just ignore them they will keep coming up into your life until you're ready to face them and i truly believe that yeah. so awesome that's why i showed up in toastmasters yeah. i thought well what the heck if i can if i can do that well then i can get through anything yeah. <laughs> carolyn shared with me when we were meeting that one of her biggest fears is public speaking so i said i've got a great opportunity for you <laughs> Yes. So thank you. And, he, and I said to him yesterday when we met, I said, where are we going to be standing? And he said, well, out in the open, it's more intimate. And, and I kind of went, oh. Because usually, you know, you stand in front of the podium, you feel guarded and safe. And I thought, what the heck? Let's just there get it go. done. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for sharing. Oh. Thank you. Thank you for your... Yes, what a beautiful gift. Thanks for doing that for us. But, you know, when I listen to your stories, they're so compelling. You know, and there's so many wonderful stories here. So my, my intention is to, um, as often as possible, ha have those shared with us. Because it's one thing for me to say it, but it's also so, it's so empowering to hear it from other people. And realize that we've, we've, all of us show up with these stories and these experiences in our lives that so much of what we have in common. And so I just uh, really... Uh, think it's, uh, it's, it's so potent and powerful when we can hear about people's lives being changed and shifted as a result of being um, uh, connected to the community in some meaningful way. So what I wanted to do and springboard off of that because we have our classes coming and we have a, an opportunity. I wanted to talk to you about the stages of spiritual development today. There's actually 10 stages. In, uh, that I, I found an article. I googled it online. It's not a book. It was an article called the stages of spiritual development, and I found it and it said 10, and I thought, well, look at that, because there's several there. It's by a man by the name of John Hecker, and he has passed away. He was a shaman in the Denver area, and he, was a, he worked with people in spiritual development, and much of what we teach is very indigenous. We talk about ancient wisdom, new, new thought. So our teaching and our philosophy has been around forever. And, our, you know, Dr. Ernest Holmes, our founder, was just simply a way, he synthesized it and put it in a form that made it more accessible for people. But the first stage of spiritual um, development articulated by John Hecker in this article is called the me stage. Most people start on a path of spiritual growth to feel better within themselves. They want to experience a broader world and learn more about spirituality. So at some point in time, we either wake up to that or we don't, and we step into it. And so we all step into it in different ways. We all, uh, we may, and, and what may bring us here is we may want more abundance. We may, we, we may want a relationship or to improve our relationship. Uh, we may be looking for a job. We may be uh, looking for otherworldly things for ourselves. So the me stage is, is a, it's a, it's a wonderful fine stage. So as long as it, it's recognized as a stage and not the whole enchilada. 
It's, in other words, it's not the final destination. But what it does is it inspires us to get on the, on the path. So, but as John says in this article, John Hecker says in this article, unfortunately, many people get stuck in this stage. And if people are stuck here, they will stop experiencing the things that, th that they came for. So the me stage is something that I think we all have had the experience, and sometimes I find myself back in the me stage with things. The next stage is called the honeymoon stage. Shortly after people begin to realize the power to create, so we see the movie, The Secret, we take the foundations class here, we, have, we, get, to get, you know, we get together with like-minded people, and all of a sudden we're manifesting things in our life. It's called the honeymoon stage. It's a stage of easy creation of many of the things that we think we want. And of course, our minds are undisciplined at this point. So one of the keys to it is the undisciplined mind. And so when we get into this, you'll see this, and that's why I think for years and years and years, a lot of this information, and this information has been around forever, a lot of this information was only given to certain students, certain initiates, initiates, at a certain point in their development. Well, now it's all over the internet. So people with an undisciplined mind can get a hold of it and they start to use it. And, and, but what happens at the pitfalls is if the, the mind is undisciplined, it's less effective. That's why Ernest Holmes said, to learn how to think is to learn how to live. So at the same point that this is going on, this creation of positive things is going on, many people experience a falling apart of some aspects of their lives. Has anybody ever had that experience? You get into the metaphysics, you start affirming and doing things, and all of a sudden other things start to fall apart. Well, there's a perfectly logical process. It's very linear because as we step into it and we start to realize that we are, we are creators of our own experience, the message that we send ourselves is that we are creative. And so the creativity, that divine wisdom with us, starts to present things to us to help us expand in our creativity. And many times that creativity looks like, oh, things are falling apart. There goes the job, there goes the health, there goes the relationship. What's this all about? Because I'm master of time, space, and dimension, which is what the undisciplined mind can say. And we are not masters of time, space, and dimension. What we become is we become more mindful along this path as we become more perceptive about what's happening for us, what we're being guided to. So once we open the door to this creativity, our minds begin to be more creative, our consciousness becomes more creative, and without the corresponding discipline of the mind that it takes to begin to craft a world that makes sense. So the third stage, so we go from the me stage to the honeymoon stage, we go to the third stage, which is the disillusionment stage. This is the stage where many people give up and say, this stuff doesn't work. They, we get into it, we, we start to ex explore with the possibilities and the opportunities, and we say, this doesn't work. What's really going on, and I think this is very key to our journeys, is time to buckle down. It's time to really start to engage the work, to truly learn about real spirituality. And the first stage of, spir the first stage of spirituality is falling in love. It's just like falling in love. We come in and we see the person across the room. We go, oh my gosh, there they are the RPM, the right and perfect mate, and we fall in love. We're smitten. You might, and we go out a few times. We have fun, 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 fun. And then there, we start to actually form a relationship. Scott Peck calls this the, once the cathecting is over. We go through the cathecting stage where we're smitten. And so what, what Freud said, when people, he, Freud wouldn't work with people that had just fallen in love. 
because he said, you're, you're crazy, you're out of your mind. So when this, when this fades, come on back and see me. So, you know, he talked about this as well. He said, but, but then life strikes. The realities of actually forming a relationship begin to sink in. Spirituality is the same way. You can have fun, 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 fun for a while. But sooner or later, if you really want to get anywhere, you have to buckle down and do the hard work of disciplining your mind and your spirit. That's why we have meditation. That's why we have spiritual practice. That's why we have practitioners. That's why we have mentors in our lives. Because it's very difficult to do all this stuff on our own. That's why we get gathering community. And I believe the purpose of it is for the transformation of consciousness. And, but, but, you know, yesterday I, was, I shared at the first service, Laura and I moved from one home to another home. Give an example of this. But if I were in the me stage, probably what I would have done is sat out in the front yard or one of the rooms of the house after all the boxes were packed. And, and done affirmative prayer so that the boxes would just simply float in the air and they would float out to the moving truck. But what it required to move was there was heavy lifting. And people kept volunteering and said, call me if you're moving. And I've done that before and I love you too much to even call you and ask you that anymore. So I actually hired people to do it professionally. I thought, what a great idea. Why alienate all your friends? Let's just get somebody that does it for a living. And they were happy. These guys were just incredible. They never stopped moving. It was like, wow, you guys do this every day. And the guy said to me, you know, he said, six months ago when I started this job, I weighed 40 pounds more. <laughs> said, I can believe it. So the point is, is that our work requires heavy lifting. And our heavy lifting is the willingness to look, as Carolyn so beautifully said, to look at those things in her life long enough so that she can dissolve them. And there's no use, as John says here, in telling someone in the honeymoon stage or still in the me stage that is going to generate, if you tell someone about this disillusionment stage, it's not going to make any difference to them. They're going to, they're going to, be, they're going to ridicule and they'll be angry. They'll tell you that spirituality is simple and that you don't need discipline. You don't need discipline. Well, don't believe them. Everyone who has truly grown spiritually has had to do the work. Had to sit down and have the authentic conversation, probably with another person. I'll get to that in a moment. As he says here, the option is to remain Bud Light. You can go around saying spiritual things and act all spiritual, but if you don't really have any true spirituality, remaining a Bud Light will get you into some workshops. But it's not true, spirit, true spiritual growth that any serious person wants. I watch it all the time. People will spend thousands of dollars to go to a, week, a workshop that is teaching exactly what we teach here. We just teach it over a longer period of time. But here's the next best thing, and we love the next best thing, and I just want to get this all done on the weekend. It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'll be master of time, space, and dimension when I get back Monday morning, and I'll let you know how it goes. And I, you know, I used, to, used to have all these conversations where I thought I had to do something with that, and I said, Go, great, let me know how it went. But, and it would be, you know, if, if, the, if there was a way to spend a weekend to get this all handled, I think the Buddhists would have told us about it a few thousand years ago. <laughs> Seriously. And I've gone to them. I've gone to the workshops, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with them. There's always a bit of me that gets cracked open with someone that's a really wonderful teacher. But I'm just saying I know that my heavy lifting is consistent. It requires consistency. It requires commitment, devotion, and discipline on my part. Number four is realization stage. At some point, if you're truly committed to spiritual growth, you'll realize that spirituality isn't the problem. You're already spiritual. Spirituality isn't the problem. You're the problem. 
Unfortunately, this is simple, though it's not easy to change. At this point, you realize that you need to enter onto a real spiritual path. And first, you'll try to do it yourself. You'll read spiritual books. You'll attend a workshop or two. You'll try to meditate on your own. And it's something that very few people can bootstrap themselves to. We need one another. We need mentors. We need teachers. We need examples. We need people modeling behavior that drafts us along, that is, that is created a wake that we can, we can draft into so it's a little bit easier for us to follow. Number five, you take a teacher. This is the first real step in spiritual growth. You find a teacher. And of course, you have to be careful with teachers you take. Some are teachers for the money, and others are less than for noble purposes. But as you take a teacher, you're on the road to growth. But there's still bumps along the way. And that's why at this time of year we offer our classes, and we continue to offer our classes. And we have teachers here that teach in a way that's, that they've done enough of their work, they've created that draft behind them so they can sit with you and be the teacher. And there's people connected to this community that are life coaches. Dr. Gans is sitting over here, does work every day. This is his work. He's a, he becomes a mentor for people on their journey. And his modality, he's worked, he's developed the proficiencies with that. Proficiencies that many times I don't have, so I'll say, you know, I think you might want to give Dr. Gans a call. You want to, you know, refer people to what you think might be a better fit for them. Number six is the agreement phase. As soon as you take a teacher, you'll find yourself evaluating what the teacher tells you for agreement or disagreement. And while the whole subject of agreement, uh, agreement or disagreement, when you agree with something, you're fitting into what you, you already think you know. Isn't that true? When you agree with someone, you sh I share principles, and you come and you go, yeah, 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 I agree with that. And, that's something, and it's not because I'm giving you information you didn't already have. It's just simply reinforcing. Many times people come to me and say, I'm making this decision. And then what I realize, that more times than not, is people are just looking for validation. They're looking for agreement. And I'll even ask them, are you looking for my agreement? Would you like me to give you permission to do this? You know, it's very interesting because sometimes people say, I think I'm done with my career. I, need, I think I need to let go of my job. And I'll say, well, and so are you going to do that? And I'll say, well, you know, what do you think? Well, it's none of my business, really, but if you'd like my permission, you have it. But I mean, I've done that many times too, where I'm really just looking for validation. You know, I've had times where I felt I was sick and going to the doctor, and then I get to the doctor, and the doctor says, there's nothing wrong with you. I feel a hundred times better. I do. I come walking out and go, ah, I knew there was nothing wrong with me. Well, I didn't go into the office, but once I got his validation that everything was fine, I'm like, ah, this is great. When you disagree with something, you're rejecting that which is outside of what you think you already know. And don't bother saying, my heart is telling me this is wrong. Oh, my heart just knows. I love what John has to say here. He says, your heart is not a good judge of what is right and what is not. Especially in this stage, your heart is really the sum of what you've gotten comfortable with in the past. So you're not going to be very comfortable most of the time as it is the teacher's job to help you see past what you thought and believed. Reverend Catherine Yates was my teacher for some really critical times in my life. And she used to say to me over and over again, get comfortable being uncomfortable. The seventh, uh, seventh step is the pushback phase. Once most people get radically new information, meaning, informa meaning information that is unable to fit into one's current belief system, they push back, and they usually push back hard. Many people at this stage leave the teacher and try to find a better teacher, a teacher who will not challenge me quite so much. 
And of course, there are plenty of people out there who will claim to be teachers who will not actually teach but merely affirm the current belief system of the seeker. I watch it, I've watched it teaching classes here, and it's not a criticism, it's just an observation. And I used to feel like I had to chase someone or make it right, and it's like, they're not going to engage. And what they'll do is they'll make it about me. I love the co-creation process. I love the sacred healing circles. But many times I'm, I'm there and people give me feedback about critiquing me in the experience. You know, as if I show up with, with a, a broken arm and then the whole conversation after is with you, your broken arm when in fact it really is about, it's not about me, it's about being present to your own experience in it. But it's just, it's just resistance. It's just our resistance. It's easier to focus on somebody else than it is to focus on our own stuff. You know, don't like the shirt you're wearing. Whatever it may be. I, you know, I used to get the whole thing, the review back there and, and standing in line about my, my dress, you know, how I dressed. And, I, and now it's just like, tell me more. Uh-huh. So the teacher's leading the seeker. The teacher, so a teacher is important. When we're in the me phase, we, it, it feels really good, but there's no traction that happens. But if one will stick with a true teacher, and that teacher will push the seeker. Number eight is the first enlightenment. For all the pushback, a real teacher can lead someone to experience their first real breakthrough. The seeker gets a glimpse of what is, going to, what is going on behind the curtain for real and gains some rudimentary skills in changing his or her world in a very real way. This is a glorious, but it can be dangerous. Many people leave their teacher at this time believing they've got it. And this is a major mistake and leads to major disappointment, or even worse, that sometimes they move to the dark side, as he says here. This is, the very, this is the very time to stick with your teacher. There are many things you need to be taught, many, many things, because you're about to come into the mountain. So all of this journey is to prepare us for the mountain. Now, the mountain, I would call, in, in correlation to, if you've done the sacred healing circles with me, is the error belief that all of us have. And so the error belief is what we carry, that we, we, our story, we perpetuate on this planet. And it's just our story. But when we bring it up and we look at it, as Carolyn referenced earlier, all of a sudden we start to dissolve it. It floats up and we look at it long enough, as Ernest Holmes said, so it no longer has power over us. So when we get to that point, it's called, as John refers to it here, John Hecker refers to it here as the mountain. If you stick with your spiritual path, you will confront your mountain. All of us have a mountain. And that's why when we're in the me stage, when we're in the honeymoon stage, we, we get our affirmations and we affirm over it. Because what that does, and it's very important and it's very potent, is we need the courage to push it down. It's our strategy for survival and we've got to do it that way. But to stay there just pushing it down and pushing it down without bringing it up with with someone that can guide us, we get no traction, there's no growth. We just stay in that state of, we white-knuckle it. I've known many people that you know, quit drinking, but they're still acting as if they're, they're still in their addiction, they're just not drinking anymore. They're white-knuckling it. So before, you confront your, before we've confronted foothills along the way to prepare us for the mountain, the mountain is, is, is one central issue, and very few people ever get over it. Most people are highly resistant to confronting the central issues in their lives. For many people, it is control. For almost all women, it is a desire to be in control. Not the ladies here, of course, but outside the community. 
talking about. In fact, he talks about a woman that he worked with, and they finally came to an agreement that her issue was control. It's interesting because within our teaching, I think that we attract people that want to control because we want to control our spirituality because we're masters of time, space, and dimension. And I set an intention and I say an affirmative prayer and I'm controlling my experience. And, and that's a, such a small piece of it. So the issue for her was to control her experience. And then she said to him, okay, I agree that I'm a controller. And what I want to do is I, I want to control my experience of letting go of my need to control. And he said, that will not work. And she left the teacher. Many enter a spiritual path for more control and leave when they find that they must surrender to the flow and also for a time surrender to the teacher for any real growth to take place. And that's why the, you, the teacher has to be in such integrity and want the highest and the best for you. And, and it's also a teacher. What I know about this is you can't take anyone anywhere you haven't been. Because then you, all you're doing is announcing. And I've been around a lot of announcers in my life. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you know, you know, you know, you know. People always ask me, you know, why have you been so successful in ministry? And I said, well, there's three things that I know about that. Number one, I've had a significant shift in my own consciousness. And that gets conveyed beyond the words. I'm, I, I have a, a, an ambition about spirituality. I've said over and over and over again to people, I'm not waiting for you, especially people that have, that have done a lot of training with me. And I realize that that's been part of the pushback. And I, and I think about that. But in, in having information and having grown into this, this role, I realize that's part of the job. But it's very uncomfortable on both sides. So it's so much easier to just say, let's just be pals. Let's just feel good about each other all the time. Come on. But nothing happens. And so I've said over and over again, I'm not waiting for you. And then you know, I have people come up to me that, that, and say, well, you know, you need to be kinder and sweeter and nicer. And I'll say, well, then I can't be teacher. Then I'm friend. And I have a great love. But my love and my commitment to this journey and my ambition for this journey is the awakening of myself and you, first and foremost. And that's just, for me, that's just the choices that I've made. But it's very easy to want to slip into that. So there's that piece, there's that, that, that spiritual passion and commitment, and there's also this sense of entrepreneurship. To, to what, what is alive and dynamic within this community? How can I speak to the heartfelt needs of the, of the community? And if I'm not connected to that, that still small voice within me, I can just go off the rails. So the whole process for me of my own my ministry is listening deeply within my being and feeling connected and having that... That, that guidance so that I can speak to something and share something of value so I can put that small me stuff down and realize my needs are met, but how can I be of service? So when you have those three, you've had the healing, you've got the, the passion, the ambition uh, to want to help make a difference in the world, and you also understand that this is a business. You know, this is a business here. And I want to be here. And I said, that's why we do this intentional giving light. Bless you for those of you participating in it. You know, we want, to, we want you to be fed. We want you to live inspired lives so that you can come back in. And there's, there's not only this, the spiritual and the emotional uh, coin, but there's also the economic coin so we can continue to function. You know, and, and, and so to, to reach out in bigger ways. We're doing the food bank. We're going to get Reverend Connie Phelps launched in, in Kenya next month. And we're going to continue to do that and support her as outreach for this, 
this community. And, and so there's, there's ways we can do it. So wouldn't it be great to, you know, to feed everyone, but let's feed people where we can. Let's, let's start there. Let's start with, our, with, our, um, with what we can do. So when you face your teacher in the ninth stage, when you face your teacher in, in this ninth stage of development, you will tend to blame the teacher because all of a sudden your issues come up. I've done this, so I'm speaking from experience. You will blame your teacher, you will hate your teacher, and you will feel angry, rebellious and stubborn. Any teacher with any experience has seen all of this before and will try everything to help you through it, but go through it, you must. I did it with my teacher. I'd come in and I'd be so angry at her and I'd say, I'm never coming back here again. I'm done. This stuff doesn't work. And she'd say, okay. And I'd say, well, I'm, I'm not coming back. She'd say, okay, well, thanks for stopping by and letting me know. So aren't you going to miss me? Well, I'll miss you, of course, but you're choosing to leave. And I'd say, well, okay, well, then I'm going to stay. Let's show you. But there were many times I just wanted to quit. Understand that if you're really deeply in your spirit, not your ego self, but your spirit committed to growth, that you'll have to confront this mountain one way or another. It will keep biting you again and again until you deal with it. And the lessons from the universe will get less and less pleasant until you listen. If you do not deal with your fatal flaw, your mountain on this plane, you will have to deal with it on the next. And boy, she told me that many times. She'd say, Patrick Cameron, you can deal with this now or later, but you're going to have to confront it. And that's why I would say, okay, I'm in. But there are many times it was so uncomfortable, I just wanted to leave. So spirituality shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't be this difficult. But I had to, I had to be able to look at the stories I was dragging along with me in order to be uh, open to what was wanting to happen. So now, it's not, it's not less more comfortable. It's just that I'm more immediate in my, in my approach to it. So I have the tools in my toolbox that I go to sooner than I used to. And number 10, the first paradigm shift. As you get over your mountain, your one fatal flaw, that one issue, that Maria Nemoff will call it your basic assumption, you will have begun to gain actual skills in creating the world you wish to live in. You will begin to see past the me phase and realize that your spirituality is not just for you and your family. It is for service for the whole world. You are here for a reason. You have a task and a destiny as it isn't going to... And it's not just to get a new Porsche. And someone on the way out said, I'm going to go drive my Porsche home now. And all I'm saying is there's nothing wrong with the Porsche. It's a form of transportation and it's a very lovely and beautiful form of transportation. It's just not the goal. I don't care what you drive. I hope you drive the most beautiful, wonderful car possible. But don't, but don't allow that to be your goal. Everything that brought me to this teaching that I longed for, I realized was unimportant as I went, I went along. And there were still things I valued. There are still things that I, I, I brought into my life as a result of that. But it's not my life purpose. In fact, as you become more disciplined enough to reach the first paradigm shift, you begin to see the very thing you entered the spiritual path to obtain has become very unimportant. You'll be opening yourself to a whole new universe and have new understandings. You'll go through disillusionment after disillusionment. And that will be followed by a new energy, new revelation. Shift after shift until you see the world in a whole different way and have new understandings of why the world works the way it does. 
You won't like having your assumptions, which are really those of society, challenged, but will like the other side of living in freedom and integrity. Your teacher will assign you things to overcome your mountain and grow that will seem to your captive heart wrong and counterintuitive. Stick with it and get to the other side. I love the line in, in Scott's song. You know, I've done this Prosperity Plus class eight times. Laura and I have taught it eight, eight or nine times. And when you come into Prosperity Plus, one of the agreements is an experiment for 10 weeks to tithe. And I've watched people come one time and leave. And the reason that we do that in that class, it's wonderful information for those of you that have, have made it through, is because it's the most challenging for us. And it's so counterintuitive, and it looks like a, a shakedown for money. And I always tell people, don't give anything here. Just sit here and absorb the information. I'm not going to keep track of what you're giving, but that's the agreement you step into. You want to have more abundance in your life, you've got to be willing to, be more, to, be more, to develop a generous heart. And so it challenges people right where they live financially. Well, I don't have enough money now. Now I get to give you 10%? You're not giving me 10%. You're giving God 10%. You're giving back to the source of the, that animates your life. And so it's an ancient principle. But whether it's an ancient principle or not, what I know is it's one of the most challenging. And so right at the beginning, well, there'll be an attrition rate. We'll have 30 people sign up and 25 will come back the second week. And I get it. I ain't doing that. Because it's so counterintuitive. And isn't it interesting? Because I've watched those principles work in people's lives. I've watched them work in my life. And it's very counterintuitive. I'll tell you, when I have more bills than money at the end of the month... I start thinking, hmm, maybe I won't tithe this month. And I realize, remember, then I have had the experience with doing that. And I said, remember the last time you did that, how that went? Hmm, yeah, okay. So then what I do is I don't, don't, I don't try and pray to shrink my bills and obligations. What it is is an opportunity for me to expand the awareness of the universe I live in and to get a bigger idea of the spirit that animates my life, to get a bigger idea of God in my life. But that's my responsibility. So it's not about shrinking what the, the obstacles are. It's about expanding awareness. But I've watched it. And as teacher, you just got to be willing to stand in and go, okay, I get it. Not for you. We're going to be here. You still come back and participate whatever level you, you'd like to or not. But for me to, to try and make that practice or any other practice, have a, have a meditation practice in your life. Help discipline your mind because eventually with a meditation practice, those, those random thoughts that drive us off the, off the rails, they, they become quieter and quieter and quieter. And then pretty soon we develop the awareness within our being to say, oh yeah, there's that fear that comes up for me. There's my mountain that says, I'm not good enough. Oh, I hope nobody finds out I'm not good enough. I don't deserve. Why would somebody love me? Do, they know, do you know what I've done in my life? See, all that stuff's our story. And the story is not the truth of who we are. And we get to choose our story. And then all of a sudden we can change it and the perception be, oh, there's the story. Without, that, I remember that story where I used to choose that I was not lovable. That I didn't deserve a loving and beautiful relationship in my life. And I didn't deserve great finances in my life. When you are in freedom around finances, it's a life of... Marcia Sutton says with his co-creation, there's nothing like freedom and joy. And, it, and it's not based on a number in our checking account. It's just simply based on this freedom of well-being to say, I got enough today. I got enough right now. And it's not by my hand. I am in co-creation. I'm in an intimate relationship with this, this unseen force for good. And so I allow that to support and guide me and resource me. 
And that's, that's part of what these stages of, of uh, spiritual development are. So my life is not about me, although sometimes it, you know, I can slip back into me. We all can do that. And then I'm back into kingdom one of consciousness, victim consciousness. I want to share something from... Uh, so those are the, the ten stages. You can go online and Google in uh, spiritual stages of spiritual development. And it'll pull up and it'll say ten. There's a bunch of articles there. And I pulled it off and it's by John Hecker. This is from Ganja G. She's a wonderful teacher. She's actually uh, went over to India for a number of years and was a, a disciple of one of the, the uh, teachers over there. And she came back. She lives in Santa Barbara now. Wrote a wonderful book called The Diamond in Your Pocket. And she, ref- she talks about our story. She said, we are encoded with the cultures of Mesopotamia, ancient China, the Holocaust of World War II, from the Sistine Chapel to the Mississippi Delta juke joints. The stories of beingness is told. History remembered and forgotten is the story. And she continues a couple pages over. Telling the personal story is the primary religion of most people on the planet. The personal story gets located in a body, a tribe, a nation, a religion, and us. This is why the planet is constantly at war and why we are constantly at war with ourselves. If you can recognize what your story is, then the story is conscious rather than unconscious. You can see what the story is and you can choose to stop following it as if it were reality. And this is what can, can take us off the rails. We believe our story is reality. The true essence of you and I is not that your body is aging, that you only have so much resources available, that your relationships look the way they do, that all of, the, all of this stuff that makes up the mosaic of our lives. The true essence of our being is eternal. It has always been, it will always be. And at the quantum level, those experiences that, that Ganjaji is re- talking about, that energetic is still alive on the planet. What's really important is the work that we do to pull those things up, the stories that we have in our lives that are based on the mountain, the fatal flaw, that are based on that error belief and the strategy that we use to manage it and allow it to be dissolved by awareness. And in dissolving it and having the discussion with a mentor or a teacher can help, help accelerate that process. It's almost impossible to do this on our own. And what I know about this is what it, we're called to in this, in this era of time, the development of this, the new Buddha and the new Christ will not be an individual. It will be community. It will be the group. And I've heard it over and over from a variety of different teachers and modalities. And that's what we're doing here. This is what we're about. And to have the honest conversation and be able to give you some insight on the spiritual journey. Because when I read these 10 points, I said, that was my journey. Continues to be my journey. I still have teachers in my life. I've got to have teachers. I've got to keep doing my own work. Because for me, it's the revelation, the revelation, the dissolving, the dissolving. What wants to happen here? But as long as I stay stuck in my story, there's no room for newness. There's no room for anything new to come floating in. And I've watched it over and over again with people that come in and then they, they, and, and they say, nope, not anymore, I'm done. And some stay engaged. But the point is, is that it's, I think it's vitally important to understand the dynamics of it so we have some insight into it. 
And then we get input to pick, pick a teacher, to pick a path and dig deeply, and to have the courage and the commitment and the persistence to stay with it. And that's what's beautiful, because it does. Eventually, there's a shift. All of a sudden, we get over our mountain, and we see the beautiful valley on the other side. The beautiful, beautiful thing. And that's what we're about here. So if you're the first time here or you're the thousandth time here, we're all on this path together. We're all at various stages of these ten stages. So it's a beautiful thing. See, and, and, and the other piece to know is that the piece of the story, that eternal piece of you knows there's nothing to fear. All is well. All is well, despite conditions. All is well. You are not alone. You're just you're perhaps preoccupied with a story that has distracted you from the, the true essence of yourself. And to awaken that... Dr. Barnum, my teacher's teacher, used to say, we have but one mind to, to move, and that's our own. And if we've done that, we've succeeded. He also said, we have eternity, and not one second to waste. And that's this moment, this thought, this time. And thank you. Blessings.